0: How can something so sweet be so deadly? We'll be talking about how one of Rome's greatest generals fell victim to a honeypot. Just maybe not the type you're thinking about. On this episode of Delicious History... Hello and welcome to our first real episode of Delicious History, I am so excited to have you with us. My name is Dave Militello, and before we get started, I just want to address any bro out there named Chad who might be listening. Chad, listen up bro. Today we're going to be talking about mad honey, not mad honeys. So sorry to disappoint you. For the rest of you, honey has been one of those foods that really have been around as long as there's been people. We could think about how it was a primary sweetener in the Mediterranean and Middle East for millennia, even being mentioned in the Bible multiple times. In the Americas, the indigenous peoples had the benefit of getting their honey from stingless bees, which really makes harvesting a lot easier. And in other parts of the world, honey is actually a major source of calories due to the climate or terrain not allowing them to have large-scale agriculture, such as some communities in the mountainous regions of Nepal. But for most of us, Honey is really just a sweet thing to put on top of your dish or drink. I know myself, I like to use honey in my teas or sometimes even a bee's knees cocktail. But let's stop for a minute and think about what honey actually is. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure that most, if not all of you know that honey is really just bee spit. But if you can drink cow's milk, you're probably okay with honey. The thing that seems kind of strange and honestly i even myself didn't think about this until i heard about this topic was understanding the source of honey again we know that honey comes from bees but those bees get the base of the materials from the nectar of flowers and then the idea of flower nectar in bees is what's the catalyst of our story today follow me here for a minute what flowers do bees typically use for the nectar as a base for our honey? Well, I could tell you in the US and Canada, the vast majority of honey that you'll see comes from clover. But we can get honey from a variety of sources, like orange blossom honey, which is very delicious and a gentle tea like chamomile, or my personal favorite, buckwheat. Yeah, buckwheat honey is a nice, rich, dark flavor, and I love to use it when baking or on top of pancakes. Buckwheat pancakes, possible. State of the theme there. Then, of course, there's another category of honey out there that the more you think about it, the more it becomes suspect. Wildflower honey. Wildflower honey is exactly what the name implies. Honey that came from bees going to just whatever flowers they could find and coming back to the hive to make honey. In fact, I don't know how many people have told me over the years that eating wildflower honey from a particular area will help you with seasonal allergies and other health benefits. But, um, quick question. Aren't some plants poisonous? Apparently, that's not really a question many people have asked over the years. I mean, come on, think about it. Would you eat something that was labeled poison ivy honey? Even though the vast majority of wildflower honey would probably not have too much of any particular flower component in it, that's not always the case. In fact, in certain parts of the world, either due to climate or other factors, there might really only be one type of flower available at any given time for the bees to feed from. This is often the case in areas with heavy amounts of rhododendrons. If you're from more temperate areas, you might recognize rhododendrons as those beautiful bushes that have like 100 million thousand flowers at once, and look gorgeous, especially as they get bigger. I know that from growing up in New York State, we actually had rhododendrons in our yard. And I have family in the state of Oregon that just, and there they have massive, massive amounts of rhododendrons at certain times of the year, and they're all blooming at the same time. Something to understand about rhododendrons is that they're very hardy and can take a beating climate-wise. In fact, in some areas that are prone to later frosts, they end up killing a lot of the early flowering plants but leave rhododendrons relatively unharmed. If that's the case, you might really only have one option for the bees to feed from for that period of time. The problem here is that rhododendron nectar contains a compound known as granotoxin. Even though this compound is harmless to bees, when concentrated, it can be devastating in humans. And if honey is anything, it's concentrated flower nectar. In areas of the world where bees make this type of honey, it's known as mad honey. Again, Chad, sorry for the confusion there. It's called mad honey because of the intoxicating effects it can have on people. Depending on how much you eat, it can make you feel drunk, drowsy, unable to stand up, and, a lot of people even say it gives them hallucinations, since the name Mad Honey. I mean, of course, it also gives you a bad case of diarrhea, but I think Mad Honey has a better ring to it than diarrhea honey. While the mountainous regions of Nepal are one of the areas with the largest amounts of Mad Honey production in our local bees, today we're going to focus more on the Mad Honey that you'll find in what is modern-day Turkey, along the Black Sea. So let me set the stage. The year is 67 BCE, and the Roman Republic is in a time of major expansion. Around this time, you have Julius Caesar making his famous conquests in Gaul, Crassus being the bad guy in Spartacus, and Pompey making some major Roman advances in the East. But it's that last guy we really want to focus on. Pompey the Great. Of course, one does not simply get the name the Great, or Magnus in Latin, but rather one needs to earn it. And Pompey was a major statesman and military leader during the end of the Roman Republic era. But before he went back to the Italian peninsula and caused havoc in the Senate, Pompey made a great name for himself in battle. In fact, a large portion of the Eastern Empire would be Roman and later Byzantine, thanks to him. When many people think of Rome, as far as the territory is concerned, they may think, at the very least, of all the shores of the Mediterranean, and of course going all the way up to what would be modern-day Wales and England, and as far east as they could before bumping up to the Persians. But the fact is that the Roman Republic had not even conquered the entire Mediterranean by the time Julius Caesar had died in 44 CE. So, remember that we're going to be going about 20 years before that time, during a conflict known as the Third Mithridatic War which was fought between the Roman Republic and the Kingdom of Pontus. Though there were a number of local allies involved on both sides of the fight. To give us some context, let's start with someone else that most of us are probably familiar with that was another great. Alexander the Great, to be exact. He conquered long swaths of land from Macedonia all the way to modern day India. But since he died almost immediately after his conquest at a young age, the power vacuum he left was quickly filled by his four generals, who divided up the territory amongst themselves. What followed this was centuries of political turmoil, as well as battles and wars amongst these four groups and the kingdoms that they would eventually split up into. In fact, by the time of our story here in 67 BCE, the Seleucid Empire, which was one of the four initial divisions, was just a hot mess and ripe for someone like Rome to conquer. As I'm sure most of my listeners know, The best way to conquer a group of people is to divide them, since they're easier to pick off one by one than if they're unified. Of course, Rome wasn't the one that divided these people, but they certainly weren't below using their centuries of infighting to their advantage. Although there were massive political divisions in the area, the one force that kept most of it together was known as the Pontic Kingdom, whose king was known as Mithridates. Of course, this seems to be the case for a long time because the kings of Pontus had as much imagination as my family when it came to naming their sons. And by the time Pompey made it there, he's been fighting with Mithridate VI. By the way, I say that because I'm David III, but that's besides the point. remember how he said this is what's called the third Mithridatic War? Well, that would obviously imply that there was a first and second we won't go too deep into the weeds for this because it really doesn't matter for the purpose of this episode, but basically what happened was Roman and Italian settlers made their way to Asia Minor and were slaughtered by the locals. Since Romans and Italians are famous for our grudges, the Romans wasted no time in sending troops in to fix the situation and hopefully replace the rulers in the area with ones that were more friendly towards the Roman settlers. Even though Romans had success, they quickly realized that they really had no interest in simply dictating political affairs and said, Hey, nice place you got here. I think we'll take it. Don't worry. I promise you we're going to get to the honey. So now here we are with Pompey heading to fight in Asia Minor. He's been given a complete control of the war effort by the Senate. So much that he was given complete control of not just the war itself, but any kind of peace treaties that would come out as a result of it. So this basically meant that by the time Pompey came back to Rome, this war would theoretically be 100% in the bag. Great. So you got a popular general marching through Asia Minor with a seemingly unstoppable force. But here's the thing. Mithridatus was a bit of a weasel, and we'll get into that a bit later, but he knew there was no way that he could fight a Roman advance on his armies as he was fleeing along the Black Sea. But still, he fled along with his alliance of other troops, trying to get to Crimea, where he could regroup. What happened next is a little bit of a mystery because we don't know if it was Mithridates and his army, or most likely the local people who didn't like Romans marching around their territory. But either way, somebody decided to leave out pots of honey. The Roman soldiers that came by gobbled it up because... Hey, free honey! Now this may seem strange to you and I, because we're used to soldiers going into battle with either a galley at their base camp waiting to feed them, or with troops going into battle with MREs, or meals ready to eat. But back then, it was fairly common for soldiers to either have to find their food as they marched or to be given only a base ration by their superiors and having to provide the rest for themselves. In fact, they even had to cook their own foods most of the time. Depending on the time period, Roman soldiers were typically given at least some form of hardtack bread, or at least a flour of some sort, along with wine, vinegar, and even some salted meat, usually pork. While it's true that soldiers may have been given additional foods, this was not always the case, especially when they were marching after enemies for a week at a time. This is why it was very common for people to bring their own food from home, have money to purchase food along the way, or, most commonly, pillage and forage. So when we hear stories about something like this where there's a bunch of Roman soldiers starting to gorge themselves on honey just sitting along the side of the road, given that context, it doesn't sound that strange. As common as it was for Romans to copy the Greeks, they often didn't learn from the mistakes that their predecessors made. This was the case here because around 350 years prior to this, Greek soldiers coming back from fighting the Persians made the same mistake of gorging themselves on honey made along the Black Sea. These Greek soldiers were some of the first to note the effects of mad honey, although they were able to shake it off and make their way home, since the fighting had already been over. The problem with Pompey and his army was that they were in the middle of an active war zone and pursuing their enemy. Just as it would have been expected, the Roman soldiers that ate the honey went, well, mad. Oh, and the diarrhea thing too, forget about that. But the issue with mad honey is that unlike other types of intoxicants, like heroin, cocaine, or even alcohol, you can't just shake off the effects in a few hours. In fact, depending on how much you consume, it can take as long as three days for the effects of mad honey to wear off. Again, not optimal when you're in the middle of an active war zone. As would be expected, Mithridates and his army heard what had befallen the Romans and decided, "Eh, maybe we don't have to go to Crimea after all. He doubled back and found a legion of Roman soldiers unable to stand up, possibly hallucinating, and definitely in the throes of diarrhea. Sorry, I just had to mention that one more time. I'm a a sick, sick man. Now, unfortunately for the Romans, they were in no position to put up any kind of defense, and over a thousand of them were slaughtered. Although Mithridates probably could have done more damage, he had a relatively small fighting force with him and assumed it was better not to tempt fate this time, and so he would regroup and fight another day. Definitely not a guy to poo-poo small victories. Okay, I'm sorry, the last, last one, I promise. So now we run into a little bit of an issue here with the historical record. Was it actually Mithridates and his army that did this? Or was it the local people? Also, how many people actually died? While many historians say that it was Mithridates and his army that did this, we can look at a somewhat contemporary historian, Strabo, who wrote in his work, Geography, quote, the who were the local people, cut down three maniples of army when they were passing through the mountainous country for they mixed bowls of the crazing honey which is yielded by the tree twigs and placed them in the roads and then when the soldiers drank the mixture and lost their senses they attacked them and easily disposed of them unquote right off the bat we can see the problem because obviously here it says the local people killed them who are known as the heptacotomy also he said that they killed three maniples of the army Generally, a maniple would be between 60 and 120 soldiers, which only come out to about 180 to 360 dead and not over 1,000 another other sources state. It's possible that this was just the general number that was used and there were more killed. I mean, it's possible that maniples were larger, and that was why there was a larger number of people that were killed. But also, it was very common for soldiers to be accompanied by civilians who would be carrying food and other supplies. So they may have been included in the number as well, and they may have been slaughtered by either the locals or by the enemy army. I mean, but (laughs) at the end of the day, whoever did it and the exact number of dead Roman soldiers doesn't really matter, especially not for the sake of the story. And with these sort of historical events, your discretions are normal. Plus Strabo wasn't even alive at the time. He was born a few years after the fact, but either way, All we know is that for sure, Roman soldiers ate mad honey and were slaughtered. And at the end of the day, while certainly a setback for Pompey the Great and his armies, the Romans ended up fighting for a few more years of this war and won decisively. So I guess at this point, the question is, if Mithridates ended up getting defeated anyway, how was it that mad honey affected history at the time? Well, it's always hard to speculate what would have happened if certain events hadn't taken place. Don't get me wrong, I love listening to alternate history podcasts and YouTube channels, but it's really speculation at the end of the day, since we have no idea what could have happened after the fact. However, it's possible that the end of the war may not have ended the same way. Mithridates was defeated, and even though he lost his throne as king of the kingdom of Pontus, he ended up weaseling his way into being kings of smaller kingdoms just down south. However, his son realized the type of man his father really was and led a rebellion that ended up having him killed. Besides large portions of Asia Minor now becoming a part of Rome officially, the Armenians, who were one of the allies of Mithridates, were able to rule as a vassal state to the Romans for a period of time after that. It seems that even after fighting each other, the Armenians and the Romans were able to work out some sort of friendly agreement after the fact. This might have been due to how angry Pompey may have been with Mithridates, and therefore tempering any sort of ill will towards the Armenians and allowing them to have some level of independence. As a result, the Armenian culture was able to continue without too much influence from the Romans for a while. We know that today the Armenian people are still around and still have a very rich and distinct culture. This may be due to the fact that they were able to remain an independent people for a longer period of time than would have been normal, had Pompey not been the victim of this honeypot. For those of you who've never heard of mad honey and i'm guessing that's probably a large portion of this audience because honestly i didn't even know about mad honey until i started doing research and nobody i know has ever heard of mad honey before we got plenty of that coming up in future episodes we're going to be talking about other ways in which mad honey has had major effects on history even if you've never even heard of it before my personal favorite is going to be that of olga of kiev one of the most unsaintly saints ever saint and the person with probably the best sort of revenge since the count of monte cristo or Khan Singh. Oh, that's right. First of many Star Trek references in this show. May as well start off on the right foot. Until next time, this has been Dave Militello reminding you that we're all part of our own history. So make yours the